Since the rise of nation-states, warring countries at the conclusion of hostilities have, from time to time, created geographical buffers between the countries in which neither country is allowed to place military equipment or personnel. These buffers are typically referred to as demilitarized zones, or DMZs. Some examples immediately come to mind. The nine-mile buffer that exists between Kuwait and Iraq. The Cypriot demilitarized zone between the Republic of Cyprus and the Turkish Republic of Northern Cyprus, known as the Green Line and the DMZ separating North and South Korea. Since a demilitarized zone requires the affected parties to honor the agreement, they are, in my viewpoint, prone to failure. A famous case in point was the Rhineland, it was a demilitarized zone created after World War I, separating Germany from France and Belgium. The Germans were prohibited from building military fortifications or positioning troops in a large area to the west and east of the Rhine River. Hitler reoccupied and remilitarized the area in 1936, and when the Allies failed to respond, he proceeded with the Anschluss of 1938 and the invasion of Poland in 1939, marking the start of World War II. Hello, and welcome back to Meyer Fun Facts. I'm Steve Meyer, and this podcast is my retirement project. Meyer Fun Facts dares ask the question, who needs Google when you have Steve Meyer? Because I'm a recovering attorney and because we're still in the beginning episodes, I need to give you the disclaimer that any fact I've labeled as a Meyer Fun Fact does not have its accuracy guaranteed. It's just something I firmly believe to be true. You can subscribe to Meyer Fun Facts on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. If you've got a topic you want to hear me talk about, shoot it over to me at MeyerFacts, M-E-Y-E-R-F-A-C-T-S, at gmail.com. Numerous requests have come in from Meyer Fun Fact Maniacs. Maniac Brett has asked that I speak on the Great Boston Molasses Flood. Maniac Matt has asked that I address the Younger Dryas period. Maniac Jeff has asked for a segment on the Pony Express. And Maniac Tom has sent an email asking that I talk about author John D. McDonald. Today's podcast will focus on the geographical buffer 
known as the Korean DMZ, close to 150 miles in length and a width of two and a half miles. It has separated North and South Korea since 1953. This year marks the 70th anniversary of, his, of its existence. When we come back, how the end of World War II started the process of splitting Korea into two separate countries. While Korea had historically been a unified kingdom, things began to go askew in 1895. In a dispute over control of Korea and Manchuria, Japan easily, easily beat China in the Sino-Japanese War and was given Taiwan and other islands to rule along with hegemony over Korea. This result did not sit well with Russia. Seeking warm weather ports on the far eastern end of their country, Russia moved into Manchuria and Korea. Disagreements arose on spheres of influence in which Russia wanted Manchuria and Japan wanted Korea. Diplomacy being unsuccessful, the Japanese attacked the Russians in Korea and Manchuria in 1904 and won the resulting war in May of 1905 by unexpectedly crushing Russia's naval fleet at the Battle of Tsushima Strait. This battle took place in waters off of the southeast coast of Korea, lying between the mainlands of Japan and Korea. Employing superior vessels and modern naval strategy, the Japanese sunk two-thirds of the Russian fleet and captured six other vessels. Tsar Nicholas II of Russia sued for peace. The combatants asked President Teddy Roosevelt to mediate, and the parties met in August 1905 in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. As a result of this peace conference, the Russians evacuated their forces from Manchuria and recognized Japan's claims to Korea. Essentially, the treaty gave consent to the Japanese colonization of Korea and later resulted in the outright annexation of Korea to Japan in 1910. Most importantly for Teddy Roosevelt, he was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize for his efforts, a true Meyer fun fact. Exploitation followed 
and Korea was treated as a colony by Japan from 1910 until the end of World War II in 1945. The Korean army was disbanded. The Japanese resident general was put in charge of Korea. And a colonial government was established in Seoul, whose name was changed to Keijo. Japan actively attempted to make Korea a mini-Japan and destroy its indigenous culture and language. They took rice from southern Korea and coal and other natural resources from the north. As World War II started to come to its end in the summer of 45, two critical questions were in play, especially in the Pacific theater. Unlike the war in Europe, almost the entire brunt of fighting in the Pacific against the Japanese had been carried by American soldiers. Would Russia get into the war in the Pacific? An actual invasion of Japan would require a huge commitment of men and material. A second question. If Japan began to surrender, who would accept that surrender in the various territories occupied by Japanese soldiers? Shortly after the atomic bomb was dropped on Hiroshima on August 6th, Russia entered the fighting by invading Manchuria and the far northeast corner of Korea. On August 14, Japan announced its unconditional surrender. Since Russian troops were already present, they began to accept the Japanese surrender in the north and quickly reached an agreement with the United States that the U.S. would accept the Japanese surrender in Korea south of the 38th parallel, the latitude bisecting the country. This agreement was a de facto acknowledgement that of the Korean nationalist groups, the communists were strongest in the north and the anti-communists strongest in the South. When we come back, the Korean War and the creation of the DMZ. Under the purview of Russia and the United States, two separate Korean governments were formed in 1948 after the North and the USSR refused to participate in a request by the US to the United Nations to sponsor a countrywide vote for self-determination. Backed by the United States, the government of the Republic of Korea was headed by Sigmund Rhee, 
while the northern government of the Democratic People's Republic of Korea was headed by Kim Il-sung with the support of the Soviet Union. Both Sigmund Rhee and Kim Il-sung aimed to reunify Korea under their own political systems. While Rhee called for a democratic government, Kim wanted to establish a communist government for a reunified Korea. Military skirmishes between the North and the South were commonplace. Per agreement in the UN, Russia ostensibly withdrew its forces from the North by the end of 1948, and the U.S. did likewise from the South by June of 1949. Next door in China, its civil war was winding to a close, with Mao's army eventually becoming victorious and taking over the Chinese mainland at the end of 1949. Kim Il-sung went to both Stalin and Mao, seeking permission and help to invade the South and reunify the country under his control. Many observers blame Dean Atkinson's speech to the National Press Club in January of 1950 as giving a green light to Stalin to support the invasion. In the speech given after the fall of China to the communists, Atchison described a line of resistance, a defensive perimeter, so to speak, running through Japan and the Philippines, excluding any mention of Taiwan in South Korea. This interpretation fails as documents released by Russia in the 90s show little of any impact from the speech. It was the persistent lobbying by Kim Il-sung to invade since 1948 and a belief that Russia held a position of weakness in the Far East that were the triggers. Regardless of the reason, North Korean troops crossed the 38th parallel in mass on June 25, 1950. Those troops initially were very successful despite the intervention of the U.S. with military troops on behalf of the South in accord with a U.N. resolution. South Korean and U.S. troops were driven as far south as Busan, a far southeastern city, which ironically is geographically adjacent to the Shishimi Strait. After a successful and brilliantly conceived counterattack, the U.N. troops made their way to the far north near the Yalu River near the Chinese border. At that point in time, 
Mao okayed an earlier authorization for the massive intervention of the Red Chinese Army. This resulted in a retreat by UN forces to an area around the 38th parallel. Peace negotiations began July of 1951 and continued for about two years. The war deteriorated into a type of back and forth trench warfare involving different terrain, including hills and ridges. An armistice was signed on July 27, 1953, between the UN command, North Korea, and China. It was not a peace treaty, but rather a ceasefire agreement that remains unsigned today by South Korea. It provided for a military demarcation line crossing from southwest to northeast the 38th parallel with a 1.2 mile demilitarized zone on both sides of the line. 37,000 American soldiers died in the Korean theater. Two movies related to the Korean War worth seeing are Porkchop Hill, starring Gregory Peck, and The Manchurian Candidate, starring Frank Sinatra and Angela Lansbury. A Meyer fun fact is that Steven Spielberg has purportedly stated that Porkchop Hill was influential in his decision to become a filmmaker. Spielberg was also influenced by John Frankenheimer, who, interestingly, not only directed The Manchurian Candidate, but if you recall from episode one, The Birdman of Alcatraz. Porkchop Hill in reality was actually two separate battles, the second of which ended in July of 1953, just before the ceasefire. As portrayed, the sadness and futility of young men dying in war for political purposes brings comparisons to the earlier movie of All Quiet on the Western Front. When we come back, the DMZ today and what's happened over the last 70 years. For close to 70 years, the Korean DMZ has accomplished its purpose of preserving peace between North and South Korea and avoiding military confrontations. It has, however, not been without its violent conflicts. In 1966, when President Lyndon Johnson 
was visiting Seoul, North Korean infiltrators ambushed an American patrol one half mile south of the DMZ. Three years of low intensity conflict followed, during which hundreds of Koreans were killed, along with dozens of Americans. This culminated in January of 1968, when a 31-man North Korean commando unit attempted to assassinate the president of South Korea. Another major incident occurred in 1976, when a joint U.S.-U.N. work crew was attacked while clearing trees between two separate command posts located in the DMZ. A North Korean unit attacked unexpectedly and axe murdered two U.S. officers and wounded many of the United Nations troops. Global-wide condemnation of North Korea followed. This resulted in an almost complete elimination of any further incidents. In 1978, a tunnel over a mile in length and measuring over six feet in height and six feet in width were discovered by South Korean troops. While the original purpose of the tunnel was to allow North Koreans to spy on South Korean fortifications, this tunnel has now become a tourist attraction. They have even called it the promotional name, the Third Infiltration Tunnel, and it is featured as a must-see site for tourists. As a South Korean travel company has noted, and you have to read their advertisement verbatim, not only can you visit the DMZ in Korea, but this is, in fact, a must! Exclamation point. An estimated 1.2 million visitors come to this historic area each year. DMZ Korea is the most unique destination in the country and one of the most fascinating places to see in the entire world. Curious travelers from all over the globe flock to experience this mysterious destination. You can't make this stuff up. On the other hand, most, most South Koreans refer to the DMZ as the accidental paradise, as the former farmland and battlegrounds have reverted back to nature making it one of the most pristine, undeveloped areas on the Asian continent. Due to flooding in the north, along with extensive logging, and urban development and pollution in the south, the DMZ is a respite and stopping off point for migratory birds 
including this white naped and red crowned cranes. These endangered species have recovered in the DMZ along with Asiatic black bears and Amur leopards. Presently, the greatest threat to this wildlife are the 1 million landmines still remaining in the zone. This environmental restoration is not unique to the Korean DMZ. In Cyprus, the Green Line has experienced a similar phenomenon. A sprawling wilderness has developed, holding numerous endangered species of small mammals and containing over 356 flourishing plant species. So what does the future hold? In Korea, it's hard to speculate. 28,000 US military personnel remain stationed in the South. Can the two countries ever reconcile? And if they do, will the DMZ disappear and will the land be developed and made a tourist trap? Or will present efforts to ensure its environmental viability prevail? Meyer fun facts are historical and not capable of seeing into the future. Demilitarized zones continue to be used. Antarctica and outer space above 62 miles are both. DMZs. We'll see how that works out. This concludes the, this episode of Meyer Fun Facts. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you'll be back next week. To make sure you never miss an episode, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Don't forget, you can email me topic suggestions at meyerfacts at gmail.com, and you can get my random thoughts on my Twitter page at MeyerFunFacts. A quick reminder that any fact I've labeled as a Meyer Fun Fact does not have guaranteed accuracy. I had a blast talking about the the demilitarized zone with you. See you all next week.